That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog, because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. B-F-F-T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball-faced truth. Welcome in. Thursday. December 28th, back with the Bald Face Truth live show. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with you, carrying you up to 515, where you'll get Westwood One's coverage of the National Football League week. What week are we on now, Stephen? We're, we're officially starting a new week already. I'm still coming down from week 16, and this is our first day back at the uh, the studios post-Christmas. I still got Ravens Niners fresh on my mind, and Lo and behold, I'll turn around to see Joseph Flacco in primetime tonight. How about Joe Flacco? Come on now. Coming off from just his couch. Gives hope to anybody, man. Anyone can do it. He's going to lead the Browns to the playoffs. Potentially, a, you know, the Browns are good. Like, oh. they're sneaky good. Are we going to bet the Flackmeister as a 7.5-point favorite Not in on the- December 28th, 2023, the year of our Lord? Not the year of our Lord, 2023. Not for me here, <laughs> Judah. Uh, if it was 2013, yeah, oh. potentially I would think about it. But uh, 2023, I think I'm out on betting Joe Flacco as a 7.5-point favorite. Well, if you're betting Joe Flacco as a 7.5-point favorite, 503-417-7575. Wemby's in town tonight, we think. And tomorrow, is that right, Stephen? We got Spurs Blazers for uh, consecutive games at Moda Center, but it sounds like Wemby will probably sit one of those. What's the latest on that? Yeah, so Wemby is in town. Spurs are in town. Zach Collins also in town. Oh, Zach, Blazers. who is still alive, contrary to the Spurs' social media graphics team from the preseason. But, uh, no, yeah, so Wemby Yama <laughs> in town for his first games in Portland, the number one overall pick. Uh, they Blazers Spurs play tonight and tomorrow back to back days. But nice. uh, Greg Popovich, the Spurs coach, has already said he's only playing one game, Judah. He's only going to play in one of them. So we don't know which one yet uh, as of now. But uh, if you're trying to go see Wimbanyama, maybe wait a little bit and uh, not spend a lot for a ticket tonight and wait and make sure he plays. I, I've been texting around trying to figure out if he plays or not. No official word yet. Well, yeah. Can anybody see him? Is uh, Britney Spears coming tonight? By chance, that's a good. That's a good. Good. Uh, good good pull there. there. If, Brittany, if Brittany's in town, we know. If Brittany's in town. He'll probably show up a play. Does anybody know if Brittany's in town? Uh, let us know there. Now you do have personal perspective on trying to go to both games tonight. In fact, you will be going to both games tonight and tomorrow just to uh, hedge your bets. How how'd that happen? Yeah. So we uh, we got tickets for the Friday game. Uh, you know, because I you know, I assume Wimpin Yama, nineteen years old, like. Yeah, the Spurs aren't very good, but he's young. He can play in every game. It doesn't matter. So we get tickets for Friday for uh, my oldest son, Lincoln, on Christmas, right? And we got four tickets. The whole family's going to go. He, we got him a Wimpin Yaman jersey. He's psyched. He loves Victor. And then I hear the news, like, you know, Popovich comes and says, yeah, he's only going to play one game. And I'm thinking, man, I, I know for sure he's just not going to play Friday. Like, it's just going to be my luck. Like, that's just the way it's going to go. 2023 is going to end on a terrible note here. Lincoln's going to be so upset. He's, you know, we want to see Wimbanyama. He doesn't get to play. Then out of, uh, out of out of left field, old coach Vaughn gets a uh, text from one of her former coworkers and says, hey, you guys want to go to the Blazer game on Thursday? 
Uh, yeah, we do. Because my wife questioned it like, oh, should we? We're already going on Friday. We're already going to see Wimby. And I tell her, no, he's only going to play one game. We need to hedge. We need to hedge both these bets. Yes. We need to see Wimby. So, oh, uh, yeah, we will be there tonight and tomorrow, no matter what. And I will see Victor Wimbyama in person. And so will Lincoln, more importantly. That's that's the one that we cares about. He's got his Wimby jersey on today already. I think he's going to be rocking it on the, you know, Whoa. at the Moda Center, which is okay. controversial. Controversial, I think. That is a controversial move, without question. As he is a Blazer fan. But he, how does he love Wemby so much? Just because, Just because he watches YouTube. He grew up watching him. Yeah, he grew up watching Wimbanyama. The nine-year-olds, <laughs> you know what? He's, he's the LeBron of the generation. So he he loves Victor. I, it, he may change jerseys. I think he might change jerseys, but I think if I had to bet, if I'm a betting man, which I am. You I would, are. I would bet that he is uh, going to be wearing the Wimbanyama jersey tonight. It's a minus 310 favorite. But tomorrow, I think he will go in probably with a scoot jersey. That's just good thinking right there. He has a scoot jersey, or is that also a Christmas present? No, he uh, he has. He actually bought it with his own money during the oh, that's... Right, right after he, they drafted wow. him. Wow. Yeah. He's doing some chores. Allowance? More like he's just, you know. Spoiled. Winning bets with dad. He was the know? he was the first grandson on both sides. He's representing you in your negotiations. No, it's taking it, it a little bit off the top. Just like spoiled. Tommy DeVito's agent. Just spoiled Judah. The first grandson yeah. on either side. Oh, that's how it goes. Yeah, that's how it goes. He just yeah. they just give him money for no reason, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna buy a scoot jersey." I'm now, like, I can't even buy a scoot jersey. I'm, I don't have that much money. Before we left for a uh, little best of editions of the show uh, late last week, there was one more open loop we needed to close, which was. You debating with your wife whether or not you would do some last-minute Christmas shopping, you know, 15 minutes from your house. It wouldn't take long. It would be a quick little trip, but it necessitated you leaving both of your little boys at home uh, alone and by themselves, which you have never done before. We were (laughs) flooded with phone calls from our listeners, some of them supporting your uh, initial inclination, which was like, they're going to be fine. They're nine and almost five and now currently five. Post birthday, they'll be fine. Nine and five, you know the the, the nine year old look after five year old. I believe in them. I'll trust them. Then late in the segment, as a plus four hundred underdog, got some calls from Mountain Hills bro and uh, older gentlemen out there that said, "Dude, if one thing goes wrong, you will never regret it, especially with your little one." And uh, that pulled at the heartstrings, and out of nowhere, ripping uh, victory from the jaws of defeat. Or vice versa, depending on how you looked at it. That really changed your mind. But where did you ultimately end up as now we are past the holidays? It was a massive fourth quarter comeback, for sure. It massive they had me in the first half, second half, it came back and got me. But no, we uh we decided <laughs> not, not gonna lie. We did not do it. We did not leave the kids home by themselves. We actually uh dropped them off one day with their grandparents and their cousins were there. So they got to play with the cousins, and then me and the wife did go do some uh last minute Christmas shopping mm. together. So nice. We decided not to do it. And I think it you know now that I'm looking at it in hindsight, it was the great call because I now watch my kids, even when I'm you know downstairs with them by myself, they're just fighting nonstop. And it's just like, you know what? This has disaster written all over it. So uh, thank you to all the callers. I appreciate it. So, you know, my, my first inclination was, yeah, it may be fine. I love, you know, getting the reassurance. But at the same time, I think I was wrong. And I'm willing to admit when I'm an idiot, and I think I was an idiot for even uh, debating this. Well, it all worked out uh, for the good, and uh, wisdom prevailed, and thanks to our listeners for coming through with wisdom, which, um, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. Hey, John says we have the smartest listeners. That's that's what he says, you know, and I think by and large he's right. Uh, John is back uh, next week uh, after New Year's Day as well. So Oregon plays Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl New Year's Day. We also get the semifinals coming up on New Year's Monday, uh, the first one will be Alabama and Michigan in the Rose Bowl. 
That's still, I'm so excited for. And frankly, Stephen, we were talking last week about your lean, and you are going Michigan in this game. At least that was when I was uh, last talking with you, and I was going Alabama in this game. But as we get a little bit closer, I don't know. I'm starting to to feel the seeds of, of Michigan prop back up. And the only thing that's really, you know, pulling me down from that is Jim Harbaugh in a big-time spot in a big-time game against Nick Saban. Like, who would you rather have with a month to prepare, old Jimbo or uh, or Nick, who's done this a time or two? Yeah, I think that's the only reason why I would even debate picking Alabama and Nick Saban is because of Nick Saban. And the the fact that Harbaugh has struggled in the college football playoff in his first two seasons. The first one, yeah, playing against Georgia, you were expected to lose that game. They got crushed. But last year when you played TCU, you're supposed to win that game. TCU's not a very good team, and you blow it. You get you know, you were dominated for most of the first half and then the second half to make a comeback. I still think Michigan, I think this is their year. I think they've been battling. They, a lot of guys came back. You know, Blake Corum came back for this game. Like, this is where they were expected to be. This is where they thought they'd be the entire season. They've ran the table. Yeah, like, but the, the way they got here has been hilarious. If, it's been if you consider turns. Been this turns. has been Michigan's year with two different Harbaugh suspensions and Connor Stallions mixed in between. Harbaugh's getting ready. still beat Ohio State again, beat Penn State on the road late in the year. You're undoubtedly the best team in probably the best conference, although the, the Pac-12 obviously has something to say about that as well. Uh, yeah, you could. You're saying this is a different Michigan team than last year's. Version. Yeah, I, I think it's a different Michigan team. I, I think they're more prepared for this season. This is what they've been. This is what they've been going for. They, they knew they needed to get here, and they got here. So I, I think Harbaugh. I love Harbaugh. I think Harbaugh's a really good coach, and I think it's a little unfair that we've you know downgraded him just because of what happened in the college football playoff. Like these are all good teams, and you know yeah they should have been more competitive. They should have won last year. They didn't. I still think he's a good coach. I think you give him time, he's going to be well prepared. I also think this Alabama team is getting a little overrated. Now, they just beat Georgia, who's a really good team as well, but Georgia's not as good as they've been the last couple seasons. The whole SEC may not have been as good as it's and, been the past and few I, seasons. And I think that's very true, and I think the fact that we looked the week before at Auburn, they had a fourth and goal at the 31-yard line that Incredible. they had to convert to win and get to this point. Like, if they don't convert that play, I mean, that's a 1% play maybe at best, and they get it. If they don't complete a 31-yard pass... Hail Mary, basically, to beat Auburn. They're not in this situation. So I think we're overrating Alabama just slightly this season, um, but just because of the one win against Georgia. So I think Michigan's just the better team. But I do think that Nick Saban and the Alabama staff is a little better, which always makes me a little nervous to go against the better coach. But I think you're getting a good quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. Hmm. I think you get a good coach in Jim Harbaugh. I think you get a great defense on the Michigan side. So I think Michigan's going to win this game. It's going to be one of those classic college football playoff games, though, Jude. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, you know, One of the old school, not necessarily a lot of scoring, uh, so it's going to be very important every single possession, every single play. Well, I was just going to say the total is at 44.5 right now, and Michigan is laying two here in the Rose Bowl. But how about that? Nick Saban's going to be coaching in the Rose Bowl, which you know is not something I would have thought would have been a possibility uh, pre-playoff, but... Uh, lo and behold, here we are. Um, you know, it's not too long ago. Obviously, we are you know far removed from the traditional uh, Big Ten Pac-12 game being each and every year with the playoff rotation and the semifinal rotation. We had USC uh, Penn State a while back with Sam Darnold in that one. That was a lot of fun, but that was obviously the traditional Big Ten Pac-12 game. Uh, not too long after that, you had the Georgia Oklahoma game. That's the one that I think everybody 
kind of remembers Baker Mayfield was in that one. Uh, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb for Georgia in that game. And Georgia eventually wins like 51-45 or something crazy in the Rose Bowl to go to the national championship where they nearly <laughs> took down Alabama until the infamous halftime switch of Tua uh, going in for Jalen Hurts. Isn't that amazing? Like, I still think about that Monday night, or yeah, well, it was Monday night, that national title game a lot. That one still hangs in my in my head as one that Alabama and old Nick Saban, they went out and stole one more national title by beating Kirby and Georgia before Kirby really got the thing rolling there in the national title. I think that game was in Atlanta. I could be wrong. But uh, that's what it seemed to me, and it was Jalen Hurts to Otongo Valoa. And now you think about where both QBs are in the NFL now, and everybody was was much higher on Tua than Jalen. Obviously, the draft stock would would uh, would indicate that. And to see where both uh, parties are now, one's been to a Super Bowl, one's on the up and come. I was just thinking about Tua last night, and the fact that you know we talk about comeback player of the year, like that guy had to go through a lot of of hell, like he had the year from hell. For health. There's a lot of people that said he shouldn't even have been playing this year. I think he was considering that as well. And I remember seeing his interviews in training camp, and he's got little kids, man. And he's talking to his family, and like, man, I really want to come back. I want to give it my all. That's not easy to do. And he did. And now here are the Dolphins, uh, you know, in the fight for a one seed, potentially in the AFC. I just think that's fascinating because it's not all the time that we see these college athletes, these college quarterbacks have their moment in the sun and then go to the NFL and and blossom as well. But blossom in an unpredictable way. I think Jalen Hurts is that way for me. I did not see him as an NFL QB. Uh, I loved his mentality, but that was the only thing I really liked about him. Uh, and then he just finds the right place on the right system, and obviously there's recent struggles there. But it just goes to show you, man, I mean, the, the NFL is unpredictable. Sports is unpredictable. And it really depends on where you go in your system and your own personal mindset and and growth trajectory that will uh, will ultimately dictate whether or not you're successful at the next level. But I am wrong all the time with these guys, Stephen. And frankly, that's what makes it fun. Yeah, and it, and you shouldn't always be right. Like it's okay to admit you're wrong. Like even the professionals are wrong all the time. And you you look at uh, you know the situation in Denver with Russell Wilson now getting benched. They are wrong by trading all these picks for Russell Wilson. Like. It seemed like a for sure thing. Like, yeah, we're going to get this Hall of Fame quarterback. It's going to work all great. No, you know what? Not even two years in, he's benched. So I'm with you, man. It's just, it's really interesting. And this year, especially, I think for both football and college football in the NFL, it's kind of a like where there's really no one team that we're like, maybe that's it. And I thought before the break, it was the 49ers. And then they come out and they lay a giant egg on Christmas against the Ravens, as you talked about earlier in the show. Like, I don't know if the 40, maybe maybe I was overrating the 49ers. Maybe that offense is not as good as I think that they are, and they shouldn't be the favorite that I thought they should be. So now we're looking at the NFL and we're thinking, well, who's the who's the favorites in the NFL? Is it the Niners? Is it the Ravens? We know the Chiefs aren't it after their loss to the Raiders. Like they, Chiefs, man, they don't have what it. What was that? You always think Mahomes has a chance. Not this season. I can tell you that I am not going to be picking the Chiefs this year. So, and then you look at college football. Like these four teams. You know, three undefeated teams and a one loss Alabama. Like this is what it's supposed to be, man. This is this is a fun year for football where it's unpredictable and there's numerous teams like it wouldn't shock me if Washington wins the national title and they're the you know, they're the fourth uh rated team in this college football playoff. Then you look at the NFL, there's probably a handful of teams that can win this thing. And it's gonna be exciting coming down the stretch. We got two weeks left of the regular season. That's eight quarters for you, Judah. Eight quarters left. Eight quarters of NFL left football, in the NFL. Baby. We got eight quarters to go until the postseason. And then we got uh, eight and quarters left. Peacock playoff game on and eight Saturday. Eight quarters left in college football. So you know what? Sixteen quarters 
Let's get it going. Let's go. Let, you Now you're speaking my language, breaking it down into quarters. You know how that fires me up, Stephen. I know. You, you know, you know you're pressing my buttons. What do you think is the best New Year's Day for Duck fans? You've got this Liberty game, 17-point spread. Where's the total on this bad boy? 67 and a half. Uh, okay, those are some points. They're the Flames, right? Liberty? Flames? Flame and yawn? What are we going with? What's their mascot? Liberty Flames? Flames, yeah. Okay. Flames and Ducks. Um, 67 and a half is the total. We'll have some Jamie Chadwell sound later on, by the way. Both teams are... Alive and well and uh, practicing down there at the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Um, but if you're a Duck fan, what's the best New Year's Day? Is it just laying the wood to Liberty and winning this game like 50 to, you know, 20 or something like that? Putting up 50, I would say, would be good. A good start. And then what do you want to have happen in the semifinal games? I mean, Michigan-Alabama. Michigan's going to be your conference uh, rival now and <laughs> starting next year. I'm just curious, like, do you want to see Michigan beat Alabama and really, you know, put a stamp on this was a down year for the SEC and this was an up year for the Big Ten? And by the way, that's the conference we're going to. And then what do you want to see happen in Washington, Texas? Because all week last week I was saying there's no way as a Duck fan you would want Washington to win a semifinal game and get to the same point that you got to in, in 2014. By the way, they've gone to more playoffs than you now at this point. They beat you twice already this year. Uh, to get there as well. They're the first team in forever to run the table in Pac-12 conference play. They're a four-point underdog again, but now they've got a month to rest up, get healthy. You know, Odunze get healthy, Penix get healthy. Uh, I like Washington in the game. I'm picking them outright to win. But you just mentioned it. You wouldn't be surprised if Washington wins the whole thing, which I think, you know, in the odds, they've probably got the fourth best odds to actually win the national title of the of the four teams. Yeah, no doubt, and and that's the thing. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington pulls it out because think about Washington all season long. You think back the first five, six games of the season, going up into that Oregon game, they were healthy, and Michael Penix was throwing for 400 yards, and that offense could not be stopped. And we were thinking this is the best offense in the Pac-12. Then Penix gets knocked around, gets knocked, a, you know, hurt a little bit. Maybe he was sick. Whatever it was, Robadunze has a you know punctured lung. Like things happen to the Huskies. They get a whole month off to get healthy. And I think that's going to be so big for that offense. You know, it's hard to say that they're going to be where they were at towards the end of the season when they were playing Arizona State and they're not scoring a touchdown, an offensive touchdown in that game. And they need to pick six to wrap it up. So I wouldn't be surprised if Washington pulls it all out and gets a national championship. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Texas beats them by 20 points in this for, in, the, in the first round game. Like, hmm. I think it's very unpredictable of what's going to happen in these in the, in the college football playoff. And I'm, I'm just loving Judah. I love it. Like, it's... It made, the, it made it so the conference championship games had a lot on it, and I know a lot of people are waiting for the 12-team playoff. I like the 14. Like, if Oregon loses, they're in the 12-team playoff. doesn't matter. That game had no purpose. The Pac-12 game had no purpose. The SEC game would have had no purpose at all. Georgia would have been in. Alabama would have been in. Win or loss. The Big Ten game wouldn't have mattered. Michigan loses to Iowa. They're still in. I love the fact that they had to win these games, and now I love the fact that it's got four teams in it, and one team gets left out. Not all, not everyone gets a chance to win the national championship, and I think that's, I think that's fun. I think it's a fun part about college football. So, for me, it's going to be good to see the last four, uh, four-team playoff because I love the four-team playoff, and I, I think when it goes to 12-team, it's going to make the regular season and the conference championships lose a little bit of its luster, which makes me a little sad, but yeah. 
But you know, it's, it's going to be good, man. These teams deserve to be here. Yeah, right now, if when we go to 12 teams, I'm not sure there's going to be more teams capable of winning the national title than there already are. But it will make those, you know, you know, seven versus ten games, five, twelve games more compelling because I think there's opportunity there for the lower seed to to knock around a little bit. But I also think there's probably just as equal shot of the five winning it all as the twelve winning it all. Meaning, I think at the by the end of the year, your top four teams are going to be your your top four teams that are likely most able to win the whole thing. I don't think you're going to get a one upset by an eight. At least, you know, things could change in this era of transfer portal and NIL and ultimate, you know, fluidity and neutral sites and all this stuff. But I really don't think the pool of teams capable of winning the title gets all that bigger by expanding the playoff. But this is going to, you know, open up some tasty matchups for some bigger brands. But at the same time, we're, we only got like three major conferences now to, to kind of worry about anyway, unless you're a Beaver fan saying, hey, don't forget about us. We we could be that nine seed or that that eight seed. We could be that quote-unquote group of five champion that goes through and makes it happen, even though at this point I, I still have my questions about the Beavers. We'll talk about them next. Plus, later in the show, TJ Mathewson, our Beavers contributor to 750thegame.com. He'll pop on uh, Sun Bowl tomorrow at 11 a.m., so we're just uh, really hours away from the Golden Domers taking on the uh, the O-State Ballas in El Paso, Texas, in the West Texas town of El Paso. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun for that one. A little Sun Bowl on CBS as the Beavers take on Notre Dame. We'll get a preview with TJ Matheson in a little over an hour from now. Uh, got some roster news on the Beavers as well, plus a new defensive coordinator that we'll talk about. USC looked awesome last night. What does that mean uh, for the Trojans, if anything? Backup QB just uh, playing phenomenal. And uh, what it means for the Big Ten landscape next year, too. I'm still trying to place where Oregon will be in that Big Ten hierarchy, what expectations might be for the Ducks going into a new conference next season. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano. If you want to chime in, you can at 503-417-7575 right here on the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Cazzano on 750 The Game. When you think of Beavers in the Sun Bowl, you think of Beavs Pit, maybe Beavs Minnesota, a couple of classic Sun Bowl games involving uh, Oregon State and those. Um, if you're going, I want to hear from you at 503-417-7575. TJ Matheson, our Beavers contributor to 750thegame.com, will join us in about an hour. I'm Judah Nube, Stephen Vaughn across the glass. We're back in with live shows here on the Bold Face Truth. In for John Canzano, and John will be back again. Uh, next week after the New Year's Day. Uh, Stephen, have you looked any closer to this Beavs-Notre Dame uh, game and line? I know it's been hovering around uh, six, six and a half, maybe seven, some places depending on where you shop, and just overall uh, the style and, and type of game this might be. Uh, anything to get excited about here with <laughs> with the Beavers and Irish? ton of opt-outs, guys that we thought uh, weren't going to play, then were going to play, and aren't going to play like Damian Martinez, where does that leave both sides going into this one? Yeah, it's uh, 
It's interesting because it, you look at the lines. It seems like it's below seven now. Most places you look, it's six and a half or six now. Um, and, and I think that was the news with Sam Hartman, Notre Dame quarterback, not being in. It's going to be Sam, Steve Angeli, who's a redshirt freshman. He's going to be in line for his first start, career start. Now he's had some playing time this season. And I think, you know, you read some stuff on him. Notre Dame actually likes this guy. They think he could be a dude you know, later on in his career. They've already got a commitment from Riley Leonard for next season. But after that, I think that they think this guy could be the dude. Uh, over at Notre Dame. So it's not just that Oregon State is missing their top two quarterbacks. You know, Notre Dame's missing their quarterback, and they're going to be missing their running back, just like Oregon State is as well. But the difference is, is Oregon State's guys on the offensive side, Judah, they have some experience. You know, for whatever you think of Ben Gilbranson, and I, you know, I don't think super highly of him, he started a lot of games last season, and he won a lot of games last season. That's something you can't take away from him. You look at Sean Fenwick. He has a lot of experience. He's going to be the number one back. We've seen what he can do in certain games where he has had really nice games. Uh, Anthony Gold's going to be out. Well, Silas Bolden's going to step in. He's had really good experience you know, this on, on the offensive side this year. So I think you know, as I'm getting closer, Judah, I, I think initially my thoughts were Notre Dame's going to have more talent. Notre Dame's going to you know, be able to dominate this Oregon State team. But as we get closer to the game, I kind of like Oregon State plus the points. I don't know if they're going to win the game outright, but I think Oregon State can keep this close. And it's just going to be, you know, kind of like Oregon State last season. Defensively, play really hard, play really well, and then score if you have a chance to. But you're not going to be, you know, the explosive offense that you had at some points this season with Gilbranson back there and Sean Fenner, who's not necessarily the game breaker like Damian Martinez is. So I think it's going to be a slowdown game. It's going to be low scoring. But I think Oregon State can keep it close with all these opt-outs from Notre Dame. Also, I think, you know, the Sun Bowl is one of the more, you know, it's one of the more notable games. Like, it's 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 one of the higher, you know, non, you know, power, you know, BCS games, I guess you would say. It's been but going for a long time. People long know time. it. They know it on CBS on right. one of those afternoons around this week. You know, Tony the Tiger, I think, is a great, uh, that's a great yeah. sponsor, like, it's right? A, it's, it's perfect for it. It's a very prestigious game, and so I think Oregon you know, State Chip gets Kelly, up. Uh, Chip Kelly, Pat Narduzzi last, last year. That was a lot of fun. Pitt but, and UCLA, that was a wild game. But at the same time, like, is it a game that Notre Dame players are going to get up for? I don't know. In El Paso, I think no. Oregon State has a better chance of, you know, talking about the motivation factor, and it's one of those things you can't predict, but just what I would say and what I was seeing, you know, reading about it, it seems like Oregon State, the players that are playing, you know, they're going to be real motivated in this game. So, uh, you know, playing against Notre Dame is one of those things where you go up against one of these programs, these national programs, you get up for those games. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, it's a good thing that Oregon State is playing against a team like Notre Dame. They're going to get their best effort. So I, like I said, as we get closer, Judah, I think Oregon State is the right side. Uh, post the points. I'm not sure I'm ready to pick them outright, but I, I think that they are, or the Bees can keep this game close against the Irish. Look, I'll go Notre Dame. I think they'll they'll probably win in in cover. You know, and, and betting line aside, because you know collegiately it's uh, impossible basically to wager uh, legally unless you're on foot in uh, Chinook or uh, Spear Mountain or one of those fine establishments. But honestly, like, I just don't know if Beavers have enough available talent to them in this game. And really it's on the offensive side of the ball against Notre Dame defensively. Yeah, Notre Dame's got a lot of opt outs. But Steven, this is still the number one defense in the country in uh pass efficiency. And then you're checking in Ben Gilbranson in there. So uh, you know, and they still got guys on defense, you know, and I, I don't think they'll just fall asleep on defense. But that's that's gotta be the hope if you're Oregon State is that Notre Dame just shows up unmotivated, flat and uh, not sharp. And then you can hit them with some deep shots. Like if if I'm the Beavers going into this game, I 
I say cut it loose on a couple of play actions, depending on the weather, because I know it can get windy as all get out in El Paso, but depending on the weather, you know, if the conditions are semi-favorable, I say cut it loose and try to catch them off guard early. Trick plays early. Just let the whole thing out, man. It's just the interim coaches, that that does scare me a little bit. Remember when Oregon had the interim stuff and they went and played the Alamo Bowl? It just didn't look right against Bob Stoops in Oklahoma, and it just all felt felt weird, felt off. You know, that's in play here a little bit for the Beavers. But if I'm Oregon State, man, I, I'm taking some deep shots and running some trick plays early and often and and trying to get up on top in this game because that, to me, that's the best way that uh, – that's the best path forward to competing and maybe winning is getting up 14-3 early or 10-3 early and uh, hanging on for dear life. Well, let me ask you this, Judy, because we talked about, you know, we have the conversation of what is – what do the Duck fans expect in this game? Like, what's going to be a good outcome, right? Like, it's got to just be a, a domination. Like, they got to dominate for their this game, game for their Liberty. game against Liberty. Yeah. You got to yeah. win. Like, what's the expectation for Oregon State? Like, if they lose by wow. 14 points, like, does that matter? Does it really matter the outcome of this game or not? Because I don't think that it does. But I also think that if you're Trent Bray, like, it would be nice to get a dub, you know, going into the offseason. Well, is he even going to be there? I mean, I think he's – is he running the defense? No, nah, I don't. I don't I even don't. know what his role is. He ain't running it, but it's his program now. And I, I think, you know, you're putting a new stamp on a new era of Oregon State football. Like, Jonathan Smith left the team, and a lot of fans are mad. A lot of players are mad about it. You're starting a brand-new thing. I, I just think, you know, I think there's going to be some motivation for Oregon State yeah. to play this game. And I, I'm but, sure but Trent they, will be but there. But if you lose this game, is it is it going to be a disappointment? That that would be my question to you, Junior. Like, if Oregon State loses this game to Notre Dame, are fans going to be super disappointed, or does it matter? Or are we just no, looking no, toward the next season? Yeah, I, I would be shocked if fans were disappointed if they just lost a competitive football game. If they got blown out, and I'm talking like, you know, they score three points and they lose, you know, 27-3. I think that would be like, you know what, good riddance on this season, it's over. But the one thing, like, and everybody's, I think people are mature enough audiences to know nationally, bowl games come with an asterisk. But I do wonder just a little bit, because all of this this season, the Beavers and Cougars being left out, we were trying to prove people wrong, you know, that that we shouldn't be left out. Why? Because we win high-profile games, and we can spring upsets, and we're competitive with the best of them and with the the eyes of the nation watching, we can come through and be a team that wins these games. You know, for Oregon State, they they lost the the Washington game, which was really their big big chance to on ABC with Fowler and Herb Street to be like, yeah, we're a national you know relevant program. We win these games, which by the way, they closed as a betting favorite in that game against the Huskies as well. And uh, and weren't able to to finish it twenty two twenty. Then Jonathan Smith was halfway to East Lansing by the time that you know they got their butts handed to him by the Ducks as well. Also a national TV game on five thirty on a Black Friday. Like you can't just keep having those type of results while also saying we should matter nationally and be relevant nationally. And even though it is a terrible, it's a shame that they got left behind. It's a shame that they got you know put with Washington State you know, left behind and have to resort to a scheduling allegiance for the next two years with the Mountain West Conference. Like, that is a shame, and it's not right, and the Beavers totally got the wrong end of the stick on that. But at the same time, if you're trying to convince the casual fan nationally that you can play on on the same field and beat these other bigger brands with consistency, I'm just saying, like, a bowl game or not a bowl game, it'd be tough to lose to this Notre Dame team 27-3 and still be able to keep that side of the argument. Outside of that scenario, 
I don't really think it'd be disappointing if the Beavers lose this game. Yeah, no, I, I agree because I just think we, sometimes we do overrate the bowl games nationally. I think nationally they do overrate them, but you are right. The fact that if Oregon State wants to be considered, you know, taken seriously, they got to win some of these games. And last year they lose to Washington. Um, you know, they beat the Ducks, which was obviously awesome, and, that, and that's what got them momentum for this season. But then this year, lose to Washington, lose to Oregon. You know, you lose these type of games. You got to get one of these games. So yeah. I, I think if it was, you know, if it was a non-conference game next season, you're playing Notre Dame. Yeah, you got to get the dub. But you know, in this type of bowl game, I think in really any situation, it's not going to be a, too big of a difference. It's just a fun game going against, you know, the national brand of Notre Dame like you do. It, you know, and of course, Oregon State has the uh, success against Notre Dame in their career. They do, and that's always. I remember watching that game in the Fiesta Bowl and Jonathan playing well, we quarterback. About, but we're talking about like notoriety. Like that game put Oregon State on the map. People still talk about that game, not just Beaver fans, like. College football fans well, talk about that game because of Chad Johnson and Hoosh and, and everything. And dropping the ball at the one-yard line. Newsom. But, which, which one was that? That was uh, Chad. Chad, yeah. Yeah. But, but, that, right. but that catapulted Oregon State to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated the next season. It was because of that win, right? And then they had the bad season with you know Ken Simonton as a senior, Jonathan Smith as a senior. But that win, you know, they were taken somewhat seriously. But that win against Notre Dame back in what was that 2000? 2000, 2000 yeah yeah that, that catapulted them to being very relevant that next season uh for Oregon State and that so I don't know that I don't think it's going to happen this season if Oregon State beats Notre Dame like okay yeah this team needs to be taken seriously again but at the same time it, it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt when you can beat a team like Notre Dame when you're trying to prove that you should be part of the one of the big conferences yeah it was a it was a massive game got a 10-7 I'm reading on the on a Wikipedia uh, for a Nielsen rating on ABC. And uh, I remember they beat the Ducks in the Civil War, the, the you know, regular season finale. That was the Joey Harrington, you know, throwing five picks game <laughs> at, at Reeser Stadium. Um, did someone say that Joey never threw a touchdown pass in the Civil War? I think someone may have said that. I got to find out if that is uh, accurate or not. But that was the Jake Cookus three interception game, and uh, and obviously Jake uh, became an assistant later with the uh, the Beef special team. Speaking of assistants with the Oregon State staff, new defensive coordinator announced today, Keith Hayward. It's going to be running the defense in Corvallis. Uh, that was officially announced today. It had been in the woodwork, you know, it had been in the conversations uh, in Beaver Nation for some time. Hayward this year was with the Raiders in the NFL. Uh, Jaden Grant, former Beaver, he was on the practice squad uh, with the Raiders as well this year. Um, Keith Hayward played at Oregon State where he was a defensive back uh, back in the day, quickly got into coaching, was a GA at Oregon State. He had assistant coaching stops around the Pac-12, including UW and and, uh, UCLA, I believe, and also, of course, the Oregon Ducks where he came in in 2017 with Willie Taggart's staff, he was a co-defensive coordinator for a few years with the Ducks as well. Mario Cristobal passed over uh, Keith Hayward uh, not once, but twice for the defensive coordinator job, once going to Andy Avalos, once going to Tim DeRuiter, and eventually Keith Hayward said, all right, you know what, um, I need to, <laughs> to go, you know, and go challenge myself professionally elsewhere. Joined Marcus Arroyo's staff at UNLV. Things didn't work out for Arroyo. He got fired. Hayward ended up uh, going to the NFL with the Raiders, where he was an assistant this past season. Lo and behold, you know, everything transpires at Oregon State that transpired this year. Hayward coming back home and will be the defensive coordinator with the Beavers. A few things. One, now you got a Beaver alumni at head coach, D 
defensive and offensive coordinator. I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, no, in John Cazano's piece today on johncazano.com, he talked with a bunch of people about this Hayward hire already. I encourage you to go read the piece if you haven't already. Uh, but including Scott Barnes, you know, he talked with Scott and he said, look, we're not going to hire somebody for this coaching staff simply because they're uh, a graduate of Oregon State. But all things being equal, we'll take the OSU alum every single time. And I get that. I totally get that, especially for the current situation the Beavers find themselves in. You need someone at the top, and you need two of his chief assistants that understands what the program is all about and understands what they've been through. Caveat with that is you just had that guy as well <laughs> as head coach of Jonathan Smith, and he up and, and left anyway. I highly doubt that same thing will happen with Trent Bray, but if there's one thing I've learned in watching college football is uh, be surprised by nothing, be skeptical of everything, but at the same time, you know, root your heart out for your team. That's that's what you deserve as a fan to do the most. I think it's a good hire. I think it's the right hire. And I'm excited to see what Keith Hayward can do about it. Someone who's who's been just about as high as you can be without being a full-fledged defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, he was always well thought of wherever he's been, right? I, I think, you know, he's finally getting his opportunity. But even Trent said this, you know, Trent Bray said this before. I believe it was on with Gonzano. He said, like, the defensive coordinator spot doesn't matter necessarily as much as the offensive coordinator because he's still going to be a part of the defense. Like He's still going to have his hands all over that defensive unit. And so I think, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Hayward's never been the full-fledged DC, but now he's going to be kind of teamed up. It's, it's not going to be a code situation, but be teamed up with a guy like Trent Bray and to be able to, you know, bounce ideas off each other. I think it's a good situation. You know, the Gunderson hire was more important because they need the offensive coordinator to kind of take over that entire offense where Trent Bray, you know, doesn't have his, uh, you know, his, his necessarily his skill sets. So it's one of those things, you know, I don't know. The whole alumni thing, and look, maybe this is because I didn't go to one of these schools. I went to a small school, Concordia, so, like, they're already, you know, RIP, rest in peace, Concordia. Like, I don't have the alumni love that a lot of people do. And so I, I don't necessarily get it. Like, I think you just hire the best coach, the best guy that fits your school, everything like that. Maybe these guys are it. But at the same time, if they aren't it, and then you hire these guys just because they went to Oregon State and it's a problem. I think that's where it could be an issue. So I like the hires on the paper. On paper, they look good, but we need to see how they fit going into the next season. And I like the fact that they, you know, they came out and they said, like, look, we're not just hiring guys because they went to Oregon State, but it does make sense at this point where you know Jonathan Smith leaves. You want to build a little cohesion. They got to hire some guys from Oregon State with Oregon State ties. They got to yeah. get back to their roots. They got to you know really dig in their heels because right now Oregon State is being left out and they want to be included in. These guys, you do know deep down in their hearts that they do love Oregon State. Yeah, and that will hopefully translate on the recruiting trail as well because Keith Hayward is regarded as one of the better recruiters in this footprint too. Uh, yeah, Javon Holland and Kayvon Thibodeau, I know, are uh, two of the guys that he was very instrumental in helping get to Oregon. If you can get caliber players like that to Oregon State now, maybe not caliber players like that, but close to it, uh, then that's a major win for the Orange and Black. We'll take a phone call here in 503-417-7575 if you want to chime in on this as well. Sam is in Eugene, and he's joining us here on the Bold Face Truth. Hey, Sam. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Just wanted to weigh in on the Coach Keith Hayward hire. That's an awesome hire for the Beavs. You, you kind of just hit the nail on the head there, but he was a big part of the Kayvon Thibodeau recruitment here for the Ducks, and he was a highly thought-of recruiter within the Pac-12 footprint, and I think that's awesome for the Beavs. They, they've got a head coach, like you said, that's, that's uh, going to be very involved with the defense and calling the defense, and 
that opens up a big spot for that D coordinator job for someone who can go out and recruit and already has relationships established with with coaches all over the West Coast. So I think the Beavers hit the ball out of the park with this hire. Yeah, and recruiting is going to be so important here for the next few phases of uncertainty, you know, because it's like you're, you're still trying to recruit to an uncertain future, uh, at least in part. Obviously, we got the schedule in place, but Oregon State football is still in limbo a little bit long term. And you, you got to be able to have guys that can still sell what's there and what's valuable there to prospective uh, recruits. And we're already seeing some of the fruit of that via a couple of QBs in the transfer portal. Yeah, it seems like Bray's already on top of it. And it seems like he's doing a good job so far, you know, the first month of him being a head coach, getting some talent in there to Oregon State, where not only, like you said, the schedule's going to be important, but winning these games are going to be important. you got to have the talent that can win if you want to be considered to get back up to that competition. So in that QB, you know, portal, we were talking about that one guy from Texas. Remind me his name, Malik. Malik Murphy. Murphy. Ultimately, I believe he chose Duke. Um, And then... Ty Thompson was floating around there for a little while. I I really thought Ty Thompson at Oregon State. I thought that was going to happen based on everything I was seeing on social media. Uh, you know, people were like, "Oh yeah, that's 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 the landing spot for him." He has yet to make a decision. Meanwhile, the Beavers have used the portal, Stephen, to grab a couple of guys uh, out of out of the uh, other collegiate ranks. One from Mizzou and one from Idaho, if I'm remembering correctly. And I know you've uh, you've been seeing this as well. Yeah, uh, you know, the Beavs, they, they did get a couple commitments, like you said. Uh, Gabari Johnson, a former quarterback at Missouri. Now he's going to be at Oregon State. He'll be joining the Beavs um, as he joined on Christmas. Nice little Christmas Day present for Oregon State fans. But they also got a commitment from the Idaho quarterback. Um, I'm pulling up his name right here, Giovanni McCoy. Uh, he, he's been in an all-conference the last two seasons for the Big Sky. Like, he's been a really good, productive quarterback on that level. Does it translate to what Oregon State needs? Remains to be seen, but you know we've seen these guys that are from the lower levels come up and play really well. So I think right now you look at those two guys. You look at Ben Goldbranson. What does he do in the bowl game? At least you got three guys in there. You know we talked about. You know I've talked about this numerous times. Like you just couldn't go into the season with Goldbranson as your un. You know the the un uh, unchallenged number one quarterback. And I think right now he's not. So. For that, I think the Beavs have done a good job. Are any of these guys the answers? We don't know, and maybe they're still not done. Maybe they still can go out and get a guy like a Ty Thompson or somebody else. But at least they're out there looking. They're out there, you know, acquiring some of these guys in the portal, and uh, you know they've got some really good players. Uh, even you know, regardless at the lower level, a really good player coming up to Oregon State for two more seasons. Beav fan, you can chime in on the Keith Hayward uh, hire. Also, your expectations for the Sun Bowl, one way or the other, uh, and, and what you're looking forward in that game, including just how you're going to watch it. How do you take it in? You know, get the day off work, uh, make sure that you're still enjoying your holiday break, kick your feet up on your favorite chair, and uh, watch your Beavs for one more time in 2023 as we put this year behind us. Duck fan, tell me what a good New Year's Day is for you. Uh, obviously, it's got to include beating the brakes off Liberty. But then what do you root for in the playoff semifinals with, with UW-Texas that night? Uh, do you root for the conference? Do you root for yourself to look as good as possible uh, to your rival? You know, Do you dare imagine Washington winning that semifinal or winning the whole thing? Is that even able to enter your mind? Eager to hear from you there at 503-417-7575. Our Beeps contributor, TJ Matthewson, joins us next hour. We'll also have Punch It Audio. Big Splash is up next. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Well, we only got two weeks left in the NFL. <laughs> Kicks off week 17 tonight with uh, Joe Flaxter and the Brownies. And Coach of the Year Kevin Stefanski taking on uh, Robert Sala's New York Jets. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the NFL storylines uh, coming up later in the show as well. TJ Matthewson, our Beavs contributor, joins us in our next hour as well. We'll talk a little bit more Sun Bowl, 11 a.m. tomorrow on CBS for the Beavs and Fighting Irish. But first, Stephen, it's our big splash to one thing you need to know today. This is the Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. <laughs> well, the Packers are such a weird, weird team this year. They have placed corner Jair Alexander on the reserve suspended list for one game for conduct detrimental to the team. Now, if you didn't uh, see this story on Sunday, Green Bay was in Carolina to take on the lowly Panthers. Surely they would take care of the Panthers, right? Um, you have three captains go out there for the game for the Panthers, but then a fourth guy uh, strolls on out there for Green Bay, and it's Jai Alexander. He was not supposed to be a captain. Not only was he not supposed to be out there, he calls the coin toss. He wins the coin toss, and when the ref asks him what he wants to do, he says, I want to start on defense. Which is not the same as deferring. And he almost cost the Packers dearly by playing on defense to start the first and second half if it wasn't for the ref's graciousness asking him, do you mean you want to defer? And he's like, oh, sure, yeah, of course, I want to defer. That's what I want to do. And uh, that's uh, what ended up happening. So he avoided disaster, but then he was talking to the media about it, and he just was laughing it off, basically. You know, I'm from Charlotte. Coach should have known that I wanted to be an honorary captain. All my all my boys were cool with it. I just wanted to be out there and, and make this coin top. Well, you almost screwed over your team in a game you really had to win to get into the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, Steven, this guy's supposed to be a vet on this team. He's the not the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. Going out there and setting, I'm the captain now. And, you know, making a bonehead mistake and then doubling down on it. I just, it's it drives me nuts. LaFleur said, luckily, he talked to the ref before the game and said, if we win, we want to defer. So, like, the ref kind of knew that's what they wanted. But, yeah, if the ref took him literally, they lose a possession. And it's all on Jair Alexander. That's just sad. So, he's suspended for one game, which, by the way, they need to keep winning. They play Justin Jefferson this week. They might need him. So, golly, the NFL is just hilarious. But, Josh, shaking my head at you, man. Hour two is coming up next here on the BFT. B. F-F-T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball-faced truth. Hour two of the show, Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. John will be back in the chair after the new year. Looking forward to that. See what the Duckies do against Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl on New Year's. Been asking Duck fans, what will make a good New Year's Day for you? 17-point favorite on Liberty in a game that Oregon kind of wants to be there for, but not really. But everybody's going to play that, that can play, basically. 
Uh, game time decisions on two of the key defensive players, though. Jordan Birch, Jaleel Florence, both game time decisions. But offensively, Bucky's going to play. Bo's going to play. Should be a productive New Year's afternoon. I don't think there will be any letdown, but you also can't sleep on Liberty. I mean, uh, that team's going to be really, really up for this game. You know, they are certainly out-talented everywhere, but sometimes it comes down to a matter of motivation. Uh, watching Brock Purdy on Christmas, that was the last time the Ducks went down to the Fiesta Bowl, too, was against that guy in Iowa State, and that did not go well. Now, that was the COVID season. Nothing went particularly well in the COVID season for anybody, you got to say, but uh, that, you know, you want to go uh, cleanse the palate a little bit. Go get yourself a nice, comfortable three-touchdown win, four-touchdown win against Liberty, and uh, give yourself a good memory down there in the Fiesta Bowl. So that's in the morning, right? That's the other thing. It's like a 10 a.m. kick. And then what what unfolds later in the day? If you're a Duck fan, are you rooting for Alabama to win? Are you rooting for Michigan to win? And then, more importantly, what are you doing with your rival in the semifinal? Do you want Washington to, to win that game, make you look better this year? Or you say, hey, there's no way I want my rival to have a chance to win a national championship. Fascinated by that as both teams go to the to the uh, Big Ten next year. Where would you come out on that, Stephen, if you're a Duck fan? Like, you know, with all your school allegiances and everything, because we took calls last week and we had callers on both sides of the fence. One was like, yeah, there's no way in heck I want to see the Huskies sniff a national title the year in which they beat me twice on the way to do it. You got other people saying, man, well... Make us look that much better if they actually go on and uh, get close to win this thing. If I'm a Duck fan, there's no way I want the Washington to win. I want them to get blown out in the first game by Texas. I want them to get embarrassed. And I don't care about the conference because I don't care about the conference. I care about my rivals. I care about them looking bad, and I care about my school. So if I'm a Duck fan, Judah, I'm I'm just rooting like heck for Texas to just dominate Washington in this game. There's no chance that I would be rooting for the Huskies to pull out any type of win. I don't care. I don't care if I look bad or good, whatever it is. I want Washington to look bad and not get a national title because that's the ultimate argument. You know, the, you know, the Husky fans always make fun of the Ducks for, you know, the O and zero national titles. Well, you know what, <laughs> Washington, you have the one back in, what, 91, apparently. 91, you shared it with the somebody, shared, I think. The, Yeah, the shared title. Yeah. If they win this college football playoff, there's no argument. They would be the national champions. You, you can't have that in the argument. So if I'm a Duck fan, no chance. No chance. Although I'm still picking Washington to beat Texas. Me too. Uh, right now, probably taking the over in that game. That'll be a lot of fun. Indoors, fast track, all that skill out there. That's the way to end a New Year's uh, night, which will be a lot of fun. Let's play a little bit of punched audio. Then our Beavers contributor TJ Matthewson joins us later this hour. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Russell Wilson got benched for the last two games. I love how this comes out. They're benching Russell Wilson. He's just been so bad this year, even though he's had a halfway decent year, especially compared to last season. Uh, but his head coach, Sean Payton, talking about benching Russell Hustle, Bustle, a man, Muscle Wilson for Jared Stidham. Punch it. Most of you know we made a change at quarterback. Um, and I understand all the speculation and everything that surrounds a move like that. Um, and I can tell you, look, we're, we're desperately trying to win. 
and um, sure, in our in our game today, there are economics and all those other things. But the number one push behind this, and and it's a decision I'm making, is to you know get a spark offensively. Um, obviously, it's difficult, and um, you know all of us feel like, man, we didn't do well enough. I give him about a. C plus for trying to spin it. C, I mean, I'm giving like a D. Yeah, he couldn't hide it. He, he, I mean, he wanted to just say, "Hey, I hate Russell Wilson. I hate his contract. He sucks. We got to get him out of here next season. And now that we're gonna bench him, we don't have to pay him as much money. We're gonna get him out of the contract. That, that's what he wanted to say. But he tried to be like, uh, it's about winning and uh, spark. And no, just I wish he could just say, <laughs> look, dude." Russell's not the dude anymore, and I want to go with Stidham. Well, look, as a Seahawks fan, I've got no problem with Russell struggling elsewhere. I'm not rooting actively against him, but I'm also uh, not mad. Well, by, how excited are you going to be when Russ comes back to uh, take just, Gino's job? Don't do this. Don't do this. I don't understand this at all. Like, <laughs> people crap on Gino way too much. He is certainly an imperfect quarterback. But he hangs in there and rips some throws, and he's got some high degree of difficulty throws that he makes. Oh, and by the way, he's willing to also make some throws that Russell Wilson uh, was never willing to concede. You know, the middle of the field, i.e. I think there's a lot of elements to this with Russ, but so much of it is based on the economics. And you can get lost in it a little bit, but here's basically the, the skinny. Like, he's guaranteed... You know, around $37 million next year. Fully guaranteed already. Actually, I think the number is 39. Fully guaranteed for, for 24. Then there's an additional $37 million that is going to be guaranteed to Russell based on one of two things. One, he is able to, you know, clear a, a physical by like the fifth day of the new league year and be on the Broncos roster, or B, he gets injured. If he gets injured, it becomes fully guaranteed. So the Broncos say, we don't want him to get injured uh, and then be out this other 37 mil. So we're going to bench him. And then the other part to it is, well, then you're probably going to cut him as well because that's going to save you at least, you know, 30-some in cash for 2024. If you release him post-June 1st, you can spread out his cap hit over two seasons, over 24 and 25. The 2025 cap hit is $50 million. It's more than that. It's like $55 million. It, not even this, not even 24, 25. It's already so, so bad. You might as well part ways with the guy. And frankly, if you're Russell Wilson, since you already have $37 million fully guaranteed no matter where you play next year, you might as well play somewhere else on the vet minimum. And, you know, even if you take the vet minimum somewhere as a free agent next year, the Broncos have to foot the rest of the bill. Meaning if you only make one and a half million, which I believe is the vet minimum, the Broncos are still going to have to foot the other third, you know, 35 and a half million to you next year. And if you're Russell and if you're a vindictive son of a gun, which kind of low key he is, um, you would want that to happen. So, yeah, these these two sides are going to part ways inevitably. I think Deanna Rossini said that as much for the athletic. No one else is out and out saying he's going to get cut, cut. 
Uh, Florio, I think, is out there maybe saying that, and Rossini, but not Schefter yet, not Rappaport yet. But it's basically imminent that the Broncos will part ways with Russell Wilson probably right after the Super Bowl um, in that kind of waiver period before the new league year really gets going in the middle of March. There's about a, a three-week stretch in there after the Super Bowl that you can expect the Broncos to release Russell Wilson and eat over $80 million in dead cap, which obviously sounds insane, but there are teams that are able to navigate dead cap hits of not probably not that magnitude, but a decent amount. I know the Buccaneers have a ton of dead cap they're negotiating, and look, they're about to win the division, go to the playoffs. So it can be done. It's just really, really hard to do. But just a bizarre, bizarre situation in Denver. Yeah, I mean, this happened last year with Derek Carr with the Raiders. They yeah. matched him at the end of the year, and uh, Jared Stidham got the start for the Raiders, <laughs> and uh, Stidham gets the uh, the opportunity to get this season with Russell Wilson. Uh, and, of course, Bet Online they have odds for Russell Wilson's next team. Now, I was, oh, interesting. I was trolling with the Seahawks thing. They are way down there, 33-1. to 1. Russell Wilson plays for the Seahawks in week one. But the favorites right now. Minnesota Vikings are the favorites to have Russell Wilson on the team in week one of 2024. They are five to one, followed by the Patriots at six to one, Commanders and the Raiders at seven to one. Hmm. The Vikings, I understand being the favorites. I just wonder who, if Kevin O'Connell looks at Russell Wilson and be like, yeah, that's a guy I can work with, or you know what, that's a guy I need to stay away from. But look at what KOC's done with, I mean, he's got Nick Mullins actually competitive. You know, like they did some stuff. But is Russ, the is Russ even better than Nick Mullins at this point? <laughs> you would want to say that he is, but there's it's it's hard to argue with either direction. With I mean, Sean one. Payton, the Broncos have a chance to make the playoff. They're not out of the playoff race. They're Sean out of the, Payton, No, they're out. They're Sean out. Payton's they're like seven percent nah. chance. No one. They, they, they were in it until Russell laid a massive egg against Bill Belichick. You can't do that. That's you can't do that. And yeah, he tried to rally him back without Cortland Sutton, but. That's bad news, Bears, right there. Broncos edition. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, talking about the struggles with the Kansas City Chiefs and what what he sees with Patrick Mahomes. This is new territory for them. Punch it. Well, you know, it's interesting watching it. Um, I actually watched their tape right after watching the Miami tape, and it was like, man, it just hits you in the face with how explosive and dynamic Tyreek Hill is as well as all the other weapons they have in Miami. Then you flip on the Kansas City tape, and guys are just getting plastered all over the field. Like, there's just not a lot of separation. The field has shrunk. And I, I don't want to absolve Mahomes of, of some criticism here as well because I've seen him throughout his entire career, you know, working and, and calling charge games. I see him twice a year. I've never seen him drop his eyes uh, like he did last week against the Raiders, kind of seeing the rush, aware of the rush. He bailed out of a couple clean pockets. You know, he's plenty of pressure on him you got to deal with. But when he did have a clean pocket, he was looking to get out of there uh, just not comfortable. And I think that's a sign of a lack of trust, not only in his tackles, uh, but in his guys down the field to get some separation. You know, as a Seahawk fan, I remember when the team was peaking, you know, late 12, obviously 13, 14, and then they encountered some struggles in 15 and were the sixth seed in the NFC uh, that year. Won a miraculous wild card game at Minnesota with the Blair Walsh kick, if uh, you remember that. Uh, and then, you know, just had some, some bizarre, bizarre things happen. Uh, this Chiefs swoon reminds me a little bit of that. You know, the Mahomes-Kelsey-Reed era, you know, they, they win a ring coming from behind in 19. And remember, in 19, they they play the Texans in the divisional round and are down 24 nothing. Blink of an eye. 
and somehow come back and win that game going away. And I always think about that game because they could have very well lost that game and maybe have only one ring from last year or have no rings, depending on if, you know, James Bradbury doesn't get called for a hold. Like, it's still a fragile, fragile thing to win a Super Bowl. It's hard to do. Now, for them, they've won it twice, but they're experiencing resistance in a way they haven't before. And now we're, you know, what are we, 30 games post-Tyreek Hill trade, and I think that lack of juice is really starting to manifest. I thought it would manifest last year. They still won the thing, but Kelsey's not the same player. And their run game is is not what it was toward the end of last year either. Um, there's some problems there. The defense is actually playing the best that they have, I think, in the Mahomes era. But offensively, Steven, they are a mess. And Daniel Jeremiah is right. I think Mahomes is like, dude, I got to win this by myself. Romo said as much. Romo was like, in order for the Chiefs to win, Mahomes has got to win it with his legs. Well, now he's bailing out of clean pockets, trying to do too much. There's no winning there. That's the thing. Mahomes, you know, not a speedster by any means, but in that game against the Raiders, he was just looking to run every single play because his guys couldn't get open. And even, you know, even Travis Swift, Travis Kelsey, he couldn't get open either. Like, <laughs> and the fact that he can't get open and, like, you can't rely on him as much as you could, like, he's definitely lost a step. Still a really good player, but now, you know, like, he can't be the man anymore. I don't know where the Chiefs get offense from. When, when they play a really good team, I don't know where they're going to get the offense from to win that type of game. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if the Chiefs make the playoffs, I don't really think that they're that much of a threat in the AFC. I think there's too many good teams in the AFC that uh, will, will be in control. Just they have no no firepower on that side. They have Isaiah Pacheco, who's a you know, really good player. After that, I mean, Tony can't count on him, can't count on uh, MVS or any of these guys. You know, Justin Watson, Rasheed Rice has stepped up a little bit, but he's not ready to be the man. So it, it is showing the value that Tyreek Hill had. And maybe he is one of the most valuable players in the NFL. You know, talking about MVP, maybe he is that guy. But it's just, you know, it's the first time Mahomes really hasn't had those options to help him out. And he is bailing on stuff. But I think it's understandable at the same time. Like, he's thrown great passes to these receivers and they drop him. So, like, what's he supposed to do? This is the best option is for him just to run around and try to get first downs. But that's just not going to be a sustainable thing when uh, when they got to win the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, they, they could very well win the next two games and we can be looking up and this is a 11-6 and six team, you know, with a home playoff game against the Joe Flacco Browns or something, right, in a 4-5. And does that make you feel any differently about them? I mean, it's hard to say. It's, you know, eight quarters of football from now. But, you know. But hey, do you do you think the Chiefs are a real threat to win the AFC? Uh, no. Yeah, okay. I don't either. You can't really say that after what you just saw in Baltimore and what you just saw with Kansas City. Like, no. And plus, they'll finally have to go on the road for forever. They got to play every playoff game at home in the Mahomes era. They weren't always the one seed. Sometimes they were the two seed. But they played every Mahomes playoff game outside of Super Bowls in Arrowhead. Five straight AFC titles games in Arrowhead. They haven't won them all, but they went three and two in them. That's that's insane to host five AFC titles in a row. You, you look and, at the odds. You know, they, they were on track for a while to, to make it six straight, but they won't this year, thankfully. And once they go on the road, even if they do win a 4-5 wildcard game, which at this point I'm not sure they will, even if, but once they go on the road, I think it's over. Yeah, DraftKings on the odds. I mean, it's not reflected that way. They're, they're still one of the favorites. You look at the win the AFC, Baltimore, 2 plus 200, Miami plus 330, Kansas City plus 350. Like, they're right there. Buffalo plus 550. I so, think Buffalo's still more dangerous than Kansas City. Yeah, like, City. I, I, just, I just don't see Even how the Even though, Chiefs, what the heck were the Bills doing with the 
Chargers. Oh my gosh, they almost blew that. I just I just don't see the Chiefs making run the AFC, but at the same time, like is Mahomes gonna just pull out some Mahomes magic and do some Patrick Mahomes things and uh you know just win games? I, I can't see it. I just don't trust the rest of that offense, but we'll see. We'll see going forward. Like you said, they probably are gonna win their next two. They're eleven and five and we're like, okay, yep, they're back. Yeah. Who knows? Uh Victor Wembenyama in town tonight and tomorrow. He'll probably play four of the eight quarters at Moda Center. Uh, this was LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, he said something interesting. He was talking with uh, Matt Barnes about Wemby. The L train, talking about Wemby Yama. Now, you had to comb through this and, uh, and edit some of the uh, expletives, right? A lot, a lot of them, yeah. Wow. So he think I got them all. LaMarcus just let it all hang out, huh? L train. All right, L train. Uh, bleep it up here. Punch it. He's so skilled, I would just break it down and be like, get a move that if it's fourth quarter, you're going to go to it. Like, my was always my fate. Beginning of the game, end of the game. And I was like, it helps you stop thinking so much. Like, end of the game, like, you too skilled. You're trying to think, do I want to do this or do that and do this? Like, get one move where it's like, I don't care who's guarding you. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, then build, then build off that shit. But I feel like he's so skilled. He's like, got 18 different moves in his head, and he's playing too fast right now. So I'm just like, slow yourself down and get two moves to go to. I love hearing this shit. Cause I wasn't that kind of score, so to hear the science of it and how you break it down, that shit is dope. When you simplify it, because at the end of the day, it's very simplified it if is, you work bro. on what you're supposed to work on. Get a move where it's, if it's first quarter, fourth quarter, last five seconds, first five seconds. Like, you can get that bitch off anytime, mm. and then get a counter to that. Mm. So I was going middle 99% of the time. Mm. Middle cut off, I'm fading away. Like, that's simple. <laughs> Uh, good job on the on the bleeps. That's that's hard work. It was taking you a few minutes. It did, yeah. I had to go through it a couple times. So nice job on that. And then uh, it makes sense what he's saying. You know, you know, go get yours early, and settle in, young man. But uh, yeah, hundred percent too. And you know, when Lamarcus is in Portland, it was that fade that he always had, right? That's what he was talking about. Is he had that go-to move, that little fadeaway that he would go to when he needed it, right? At any time in a clutch situation, you knew. He was going fadeaway over that shoulder, or else he was going middle every single time. And so I, you know, you look at Wimbenyama's stats, you know, 18 points, 10 and a half rebounds, really good season, but the percentages aren't as high as you would like them to be. 43% field goals, just under 28% from three. He has all the skills to do it. And at seven foot four, like we've never seen a guy like this be able to move, but you watch him and it is right. Like he looks like he's thinking out there and it's understandable. He's 19 years old going against these grown men. Like, he has so many skills that he can do. He has so many moves he can pull off. He kind of does have to make the game easier. And, and sometimes basketball is like that. We we overanalyze everything in the game of basketball. At the end of the day, basketball is very easy. Get the ball in the hoop, yeah. no matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if it looks good. It doesn't matter how the move looks. If you can get the ball in the hoop, that's what you're supposed to do. And I think right now for Wimbanyama, it's one of those things where he can do so many things. He's trying to show them all off. LaMarcus is saying, make it a little simple, and that's what LaMarcus did. He had two moves, and he you know, had a Hall of Fame career, baby, off those two moves. So I love Wimbanyama. I'm excited to see him here in Portland either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, and I think you know, down the road, maybe even next season, he's going to be one of the guys that is you know, the face of the NBA. Yeah, and still so young. This is a kind of a predictable uh, evolution to me for him uh, early on. You know, trying to do a lot early, and eventually you'll learn how to, to slow down, stay within yourself, become more efficient, more powerful, more scary uh, as you become more simple in that way. Uh, Blazers, by the way, a three-and-a-half-point favorite right now, hosting the Spurs 7 o'clock at Moda Center. Blazers is a favorite, uh, Stephen. 0-2. Oh, 0-2. Oh, I mean, they've only been favorites twice. You get a two-game sample size for the Blazers as a favorite, but in both games, 
We thought that they would show up and cover those games, and they have not. Uh, yeah, and uh, DeAndre Ayton, Shaden Sharp will be out for the Blazers. Anthony Simons, questionable. I think the number being three and a half kind of points to Wimby playing tonight. I don't know that. I haven't seen oh. anything. It'd be bigger if he was out. I think it might be a little bigger if he was out, but again, hmm. that's just me speculated. I haven't read anything on that, but uh, yeah, I uh, I like the Spurs tonight. I'll tell you that. You go in tonight and tomorrow, so uh, if you're there, go say hi to Steven because he'll have the tall uh, third grader wearing the women Yama jersey. Yeah, I do. And then Did uh, I get all that right? Yeah, and then I'll have a little one wearing a Jimmy Butler jersey. <laughs> uh, but I got Blazers plus four already. We're, we're locked Ah, in. you got the better I mean, of the number. Sorry, sorry. Spurs. Spurs plus four. Locked there you in. go. You got yeah. the best of the number there. There we go. You know, you got the extra half point. Uh, TJ Matthewson, our Beavers contributor, he joins us next. We'll talk a little Sunshine Bowl. Sunshine. Remember? Remember the Titans? Who doesn't love Remember the Titans? What a, that is a GOAT sports movie. Is it? Come on. Don't. Don't. Don't start with me. Strong side. Strong side. That's uh, so good. It's so good. But anyway, we'll we'll talk a little sunshine, sun bowl with TJ Matthewson on the other side. Junior Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazano on the Bold Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. The coaching staff for the Beavers starting to come together, and they got a uh, Sun Bowl to get ready for. It's finally, it's finally almost here. We're on Sun Bowl Eve. Happy Sun Bowl Eve to those who celebrate as uh, the Fighting Irish and uh, the O State Ballas go down in El Paso, Texas tomorrow, 11 a.m. on CBS. Um, Stephen, it'll be a lot of fun because tomorrow we'll be here on the show. We'll get to have a little. Post game reaction basically after it wraps up when the show starts at three o'clock. Yeah, I'll uh, make sure I got to go get a bet down on something. Make sure I got some little action going on. But yeah, it'll be fun. Watch the game, have a little post game reaction, and I'll uh, see where it goes from there. Wonder what the uh, Sun Bowl prop bet market is. Yeah, probably super hot. You gotta avoid the uh, avoid the totals, avoid the sides with things like this, right? You Throw all the record books props. out. Throw the record books out. Let me get an Andrew Chatfield anytime sack. Out, out in there. We'll see what uh, TJ Matthewson thinks of that. He is our Beavers contributor to 750thegame.com. He's done great work all year. He's got a preview up right now of the Sun Bowl Beavers in Fighting Irish, and TJ joins us on the hotline right now. Happy Sun Bowl Eve, TJ. How you doing? I'm good, guys. Just a uh, quick drive down uh, down I-5, heading back to Corvallis. We're, uh, we're ready to go tomorrow. It has been, it's been a while. It seems like an eternity since we last had a, had a football game to talk about, and I'm, I'm really grateful it is a football game and, and nothing else. Going into this one, as someone that's covered the Beavers all year, just re- remind us kind of broad strokes where the Beavers find themselves at this point, um, who's playing, who's not playing to the best of your ability, following the chaos of the portal and the draft and, and everything like that. Uh, how's this shaping up for the Beavers going against Notre Dame? You know what? The defense, for the most part, won't look Two different. They're going to be missing their top two tacklers in Easton Mascarenas Arnold and Achille Arnold. But outside of that, I mean, they got an opt-out from Ryan Cooper today. But there's still going to be so many, at least nine, at least part to full-time contributors playing the defense. That makes you feel a lot more confident, especially the fact that defense didn't 
play that well this season, especially away from Research Stadium. So you got to if they could only play better than they've played this season. So the defense, honestly, I'd be pretty excited about. I kind of like that match against the Notre Dame offense. Uh, the Beaver offense, I honestly, is it's not the same offense. It's I, I don't know how they're going to operate. I'm I'm very interested to see what's going to change uh, from like we just think about their strengths of of running the football and, and getting down in the red zone and scoring every single time. Well, like the, all the guys that made that possible aren't here anymore, aren't aren't playing. So I mean, I would be shocked if they they scored two touchdowns on offense. It just seems a little bleak on that end, that end. I still think it's going to be entertaining. Both teams have a, a ton of opt-outs. It's not really too much of a disadvantage on, on either side. And Kefense Henson, the interim head coach, said this exact same thing. He's like, listen, these guys want to opt out. They want to leave. Okay. Like, we still have Power 5 Division One college football players on this roster who are going to look forward to play uh, tomorrow. And I think he's expecting a good game out of his team. And I, I think we'll we'll see a good game. Whether there's points, I guess we'll find out. The Damian Martinez saga, uh, you know, after Jonathan Smith's departure, we were all like, oh, is he going to leave too? And uh, what, what's his future going to be? And then he says, no, I'm, I'm staying. I'm, I'm going to play. And then obviously the arrest, but no charges. And he was suspended and, and then not suspended. He was going to play. And now he's not going to play. Uh, from your vantage point covering this team, what, what have the last few weeks been like for, for Damian Martinez? And, and what is his outlook for 2024 and beyond since uh, at least he's saying that he's going to stay at Oregon State. I can only imagine what he's felt like. I mean, I like a lot of us screw up, and to have a screw up like that, especially as, as public of a figure as he is in the Corvallis community, and there are people out there that are going to report things that he does if he breaks the law. Unfortunately, it's not like most of society where if that happens to you, the only person people that know are the people that care enough to find out or you tell them so the fact that Damien at 20 years old has to go through that is unfortunate but like it's probably for the best he's not going to play in the Sun Bowl as you guys know he went back to Texas after that whole scenario happened and he was just working out he's not really practicing so it just didn't really make sense for him to try and ramp back up in a week and a half and, and go play in the Sun Bowl and and again it's as we've all talked about, I mean, these bowl games are meaning less and less and less. And I can't blame the players for not wanting to play in it. So when Damian Martinez and the coaching staff feel like it's better for him to just focus on 2024, I think, you know, that's a, a very fair option. I, I don't see him leaving. I don't I, like if he was going to leave, he would have left by now. Like that. I think it's as, as simple as that. I think he really does like Corvallis. He, I mean, he's, he's put it pretty clear that, all he wants to focus on is football, essentially, and have no other distractions. Well, Corvallis is a perfect place for him to do that, and he seems really excited to be with his staff and get forward in this 2024 season, which I think he's going to have an, another awesome season in 2024. And he, he is against this lineup of teams that the Beavers have on the schedule for the 2024 season. He is going to have one special season, and he knows that you know he, he sees himself playing on Sundays no matter where he plays next year. So why not? be in a place he loves and he's most comfortable at and the staff he trusts. Well, speaking of 2024, uh, going into this game, you know, the quarterback situation, Ben Gilbranson is going to be the starting quarterback for the Bees in the Sun Bowl. Uh, is this really a chance for him to 
solidify himself as the number one guy, even though the Bees picked up commitments from Giovanni McCoy from Idaho, who is the Jerry Rice Award winner in 2022, and Gabari Johnson, a former four-star recruit from Tacoma. Is this a chance for Gil Branson to kind of lay it down and say, you know what, I'm going to be the favorite going into the next season to be the quarterback? It's a chance, but I don't think he's going to win it. I, I, I think we just we know what there is with Ben, and I mean this in the utmost respect. If we look at how successful he was in 2022, he shredded forward in the bowl game. I'll give him that. So he, his bowl resume looks great. But I think the, the coaches who have seen Ben play know what he is. And if the defense is significantly better next season and the running game is as elite as it was under Jonathan Smith, then having Ben Goldbranson back there is, a, is a definitely a viable option. However, if they can get a little, you know, still want to be able to pass the football, and we've seen it just kind of, it's not easy with, with Ben. So I, I, I just, I feel like we've seen too much at this point where we know what it would be with Ben Goldbranson. I don't know, like, I assume he understands that as well. That's why he stuck around and hasn't gone anywhere else. Because if he really thought he was going to go, be a successful power five quarterback somewhere else or even group of five. I mean, wouldn't he done it? It gives you the best chance at making NIL money. It gives you the best chance at potentially playing on Sunday. And he has decided to do neither of that. So would he be okay being a backup next season? I have no idea. Uh, but I, I just don't see him starting next year. That, that just doesn't sound realistic to me. Talking to TJ Matheson, Oregon State Beavers contributor to 750game.com. Also hosts Beavs uh, pre and post game on uh, KEGAO Joe Radio down there in Corvallis, writes at Beaver's Edge. They talk about uh, motivation a lot in bowl season. Which of these teams wants to be there? Do you think there's any advantage to either side with Oregon State and Notre Dame in terms of uh, who really wants to be there in El Paso tomorrow? Not really. <laughs> Not really, to be honest. I, it, I mean, I don't know what kind of motivator Marcus Freeman is. I. I he probably is a, a decently good one, but it, it's really hard to draw a line in this game. What do you, uh, DJ? What do you make of the the new defensive coordinator hire, Keith Hayward? Ryan Gunnerson is the offensive coordinator. Coaching staff kind of, you know, getting getting you know fixed out the entire way. What do you make of all the uh, the coaching decisions under Trent Bray? Well, there's certainly a theme. It's it, it's Oregon State alums, and you guys mentioned it earlier on in the show that you know. It, it's like, hey, if we hire alums who love playing here and loved playing here and would love coaching here, they won't leave. And then it's like, well, Jonathan Smith left, unfortunately. But Trent Bray, as a, as a first-year head coach, is going to go with guys that he trusts. And I, I think it would make him feel a little bit more comfortable, again, with guys who are more familiar with the area and, again, just more – at least the illusion I, – I, uh, the illusion of loyalty to the university, which is all they can really afford at a time like this, where you know their future future is I'm uncertain, as I feel like about 80% of uh, Division One college football is uncertain in the future. So he's got to go with what makes him comfortable, and the budget, of course, with unknown television revenue for the next couple of seasons and beyond that, like you can only afford so much. So. Do they, they do the best with what they can, and we'll see. And, and it helps, right, that Trent Bray already has been a defensive coordinator, and he's going to be a big part of the defense. So it's not as important. Ryan Gunderson, the offensive coordinator, was the more important hire because 
Trent's not going to build out the offense himself. He's a defensive guy. He needs the offensive guy. And with a good quarterback, I mean, that's going to make Brian Gunderson's job a lot easier. So we'll, we'll have to see. But there's definitely a common theme and, and comfortability with what Trent Brace decided to do with his assistants. From what you know, what will uh, Trent's role be like tomorrow at the bowl game? Obviously, he's not the out-and-out head coach because uh, uh, Kofensi Hinson is the interim head coach. Is he still running the defense, though, as he was all year? What's that going to be like when we're watching tomorrow? No, he's hands-off. He's uh, he's recruiting. He's, he, he is like Kofensi Henson be the head coach of this bowl season. For the last month, it has been... Kofense in charge, and once the bowl is over, then Trent will assume his managerial duties and his CEO duties as a, as a head coach, but Trent Bray will not have a role in the game tomorrow. You like a low-scoring game, is that right? Yeah, take the under. Take- I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't see where the points are coming from. I mean, as much as we're talking about Oregon State's offense being uh, lacking with, with departures. I mean, Notre Dame is, has lost four of their top receivers, their top running back, their quarterback, three offensive linemen, and their tight end. Like, where's the points coming from? Hopefully it's uh, a little bit better than the 3 nothing Shady McCoy, Beaver, Sun Bowl from, uh, from a few years back, OSU and Pitt. That would be fun. I think that would be fun. <laughs> Actually, I'd be kind of done with would that. Would it be fun, guys? I don't know. It'd be, you know, give us something to talk about, you know, other than, because that, that's better than 13-10. At least you get something that's just downright forgettably unforgettable. Uh, both, you know, both those Sun Bowls I'm thinking about. The Minnesota one was crazy wild uh, that they won. Those are the ones that I associate with the Beavers in the Sun Bowl. Is there anything else about this game, TJ, that that stands out to you, or that uh, that you found entertaining or fascinating when just thinking about the matchup and facing Notre Dame again and playing in this Sun Bowl? Because obviously it's a unique. Uh, situation and you know there's not ton to be optimistic about just in the matchup itself but you know it's unique it's a chance to play Notre Dame and that doesn't happen every day it doesn't and I think the ratings are going to reflect that and I think the ticket sales are going to reflect that it's the what first sellout 13 years the last 13 years of the Sun Bowl that's something the atmosphere is going to be fun and this is kind of cheesy to say and sort of little league-ish I guess but the, they, they, everyone comes down there and have fun like that's really what bowl games are about, especially those lower-level bowl games that you're not playing for a national championship. It's going to be cool if you win a trophy and you get to put it in the Valley Football Center. Yeah, but also you're going there to have an experience. Bowl games are an experience for both teams, the head coaches, the fans, the programs, the alumni. You know, that's a, that's a really big part of it. On the football field, I'm going to go back to my first point. I do actually kind of like this matchup for the defense. I'd be kind of excited to see – what this defense looks like with a couple new bodies in there. I know people really like Isaiah Chisholm and Melvin Jordan there, a linebacker who are going to be filling in in the two linebacker spots. So Calvin Hart, I didn't mention earlier, he opted out uh, of the bowl game as well. At least he's not listed on the two deep. So those would be the two guys in there, at linebacker. And this is an Oregon State defense where the, the biggest story all season was they can't play well on the road, they got shredded through the air, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now they're going to be playing an offense that's down a lot of skill positions, down a lot of their production, both running and passing the football. So why not take advantage of that and have just an absolute banger of a game and give your now future head coach, now current head coach, something to be proud of and a foundation to build off for next season if you can't replicate that same offensive success the Beavers had this season. 
Big uh, big bowl season for the breakfast food. So you got Pop-Tarts Bowl on right now. You got Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl tomorrow. Uh, man, it, that's Frosted Flakes, right, Stephen? You know, that's that's got to yeah, be the Frosted they're Flakes. Great. Yeah. They're great. You big uh, Frosted Flakes guy, TJ? A little too sugar. Actually, kind of like mayo more. I was more into the mayo yesterday. <laughs> the food's great. You so got... not for breakfast, perhaps. Well, you know, depends on the day, right? Depends on the day. Yeah. Uh, well, the the uh, bad boy mowers bowl was was today, or the pinstripe bowl. Lincoln Riley got doused with uh, eggnog after the holiday bowl. Oh, did he really? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. What was the sponsor? The Fenway Bowl was it like it was wasabi, but I know it's not like the actual like food itself. Wasabi is apparently like a data storage security. I saw Dan Wetzel tweeting about it, and he's like, if you can't get behind. A college football game in a baseball stadium at a 10 a.m. on a Thursday, sponsored by a data storage company that's named after a you know a, a Japanese ingredient. Then we can't be friends because that's what college football bowl season's all about. I can't blame him; he's right. <laughs> Have you been to yeah. Fenway? You're a big baseball guy. You've been to Fenway? Yeah, I've been to Fenway twice. I can't imagine them playing football in there. Like it's a little tight. Like we're so yeah. used to our West Coast ballparks, and they're they're pretty spacious and not built on a, the smallest footprint in the world. And you get to Fenway, and I mean, someone's drink is in your lap. You uh, you also do a, a baseball podcast with the Mariners, you know, covering all things Mariners. Um, you were talking to a to a Mariner re- on a recent episode. How'd that go? And uh, are they going to spend any money anytime soon? Well, as you guys know, they did get a, a nice Christmas present to everyone who wanted them to spend money. Uh, they, they did sign, spend $24 million uh, about a week ago. Yeah. It's Garber, which was nice. But we, uh, we, had, we had Dominic Canzone, who's projected to start in the outfield uh, on our podcast that came out yesterday. Now, don't want to leak too much of it. If you want to go check it out, you can find it uh, wherever you get your podcast uh, on the Marine Layer podcast, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. But, you know, you like Italian stuff, and you like you know the inner workings of the Mariners clubhouse. Dom was was funny. You guys, you guys know the tungsten Armo Doyle tweet, right? Shohei Otani. Uh, I don't uh, know that I'm familiar with that one. No. Okay. Well, all right, maybe a bit of an inside joke, but it, it seems Dom, Dom Canzone, who's not that much of an online guy, is like the rest of us perpetually online. So it, it's funny to see. He was super nice, uh, and if you want to go check it out. Uh, all the podcast platforms, so it's cool. Safe travels back, TJ. Thanks for your contributions all year, and uh, enjoy consuming the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl tomorrow morning. All right, appreciate it, Judah and Steven. All right, TJ Matthewson, our Beavs contributor at 750thegame.com. Uh, appreciate his work, and you can go there to 750thegame.com and catch his preview and prediction. Um, he totally lost me with that last part. I don't know what 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 was, what was he saying, the Otani tweet? I don't know, but... It, I was wrapping my head around the fact that, you know, we're celebrating a Mitch Garver signing when the Dodgers are out there signing Yamamoto and Shohei to a billion dollars, but the Mariners spent $24 million. Let's give him a round of applause. I thought he was being tongue-in-cheek. Was he being serious? I don't know. That he was happy about no, that? No, I'm sure he's being tongue-in-cheek. I'm okay. Just, I thought he was I'm being just, sarcastic. I'm just the Mariners. He might have been serious. I don't know. Mitch, that, Mitch that, I just want to bash the Mariners about that. Spend well, some yeah, money. What are you doing? Well, the Mariners, they, you know, they never spend money. It's the Neil O'Shea thing. It was, well, they were in it. They were in the content. Yeah, you know, we were in the conversation. They were in the conversation yeah. with Shohei, in we the conversation right for Soto. We were yeah. right there. But uh, we ended up with Mitch Garver, you know, so it's uh... – <laughs>
It's all good. <laughs> By the way, I did see a tweet. Uh, if you're wondering why the Mariners haven't uh, posted any Mitch Garver highlights at T-Mobile Park since they play in the same division, you want to know <laughs> Mitch Garver's stats at T-Mobile Park with give, the Rangers? Give them to me. Oh for 34 <laughs> or something <laughs> crazy like that. He's like over. Oh he never had a hit at T-Mobile Park. Let's let's pay that guy 24 mil and say it's our uh, our Otani <laughs> insurance. <laughs> He'll just be playing road games. It's okay. Just, just road games. Love that. We'll uh, tune on the road. But it's a it's a good pod. TJ uh, does good work on the Marine Lair. We appreciate his contributions here at 750 for all things Beavers. Uh, bounce a break. You come back. Uh, got more audio to play. Plus the five at five leading you into uh, Flacco uh, v. God, who is playing quarterback? Trevor Simeon. Come on. Gross. You're really going to bet Simeon? I already did. Okay. Plus seven and a half. And we ride. Uh, that's coming up at 515. Newbie and Vaughn in for Kanzano here on the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Five at five coming up in our uh, final hour. Junior newbie Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano. USC looked smoking uh, last night in their bowl game uh, in the Holiday Bowl. Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt on the call on Fox. First down and 10 at the 44. Moss on the play fake. Sprints out, goes deep. He's got his back. Miller Moss, uh, weird name or great name for a college football quarterback? Great name for a college football quarterback. When weird you have name, six TDs, though, I mean, weird name if it's just like, hey, I'm Miller Moss. Yeah, if you're if you're named Miller Moss, Miller is a first name. That family name, I mean, where what are we doing with that? Miller is the first name. No offense to anybody that's first named Miller, but that's a last name. You know, you got two last names. Sometimes you get the the two guys that have two first names. Like Matthew Barry, always a crowd pleaser, but the two last names—that's just that's weird to me. I don't know. I don't know what to you do. Don't with like, that. You don't like you're not a fan of the two last. I mean, names, I right? have a very unique name that no one knows what to do with at all. In in uh, Judah and newbie, no one ever has been named that. To to I've, I've tried in the history to find, of people. In the history of people, I don't think anybody's been named what I've been named. I don't know if anybody's named what you've been named, Stephen, because your last name has an extra A at the end of it. I was going to say, I mean, there is the famous Stevie Ray Vaughn. Well, who you uh, love being associated with. Love it. I no, That I was it. my first joke out of the gate when I met you after we hired you. I was like, oh, Stevie Ray Vaughn, you could be our pride and joy. Never heard of that one before, Gio. And you're like, dude, if this is the way it's going to go, I'd rather just leave. I quit. So uh, I know how much you love that. But he doesn't have the extra A at the end of his name, right? No, we got yeah, I got the extra A. It's V A U G H A N. A lot of the Vaughns are with the N, and then also with my first name Stephen. There's a lot of Stephens out in the world that oh. claim to be Stevens, and that does uh, rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Stephens out there. Yeah, There's, that's a real Stephen move. That's a real, trust me. The defense, the difference between a Stephen and a Stephen could not be more pronounced. Like. Those are two very different people, the Steffens and the Stevens in the life. And it just, to your point, it gets crazy weird 
when you go V sound for the PH Steffens. Yeah, I'm not there at all. Have you ever met a Steffen that spells it with a V? I don't think so, right? Let's spell, let's say it phonetically the way things are spelled and uh, keep it that way. If, if your name is Steven with a PH, what, I mean, what do you go by by Steve? Is it S T E P H? That's not Steve. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have to completely change your like, name. That's why it's Steph, Steph Curry, right? Right. Because it's he's a Stephen. He's not a Stephen. He's not Stephen Curry. He's not. He's a Stephen. Um, is Dell's full name Dell Curry? Well, no, it's Wardell. Right, but that's, that's Wardell. Yeah, that's Stephen Curry's name is Wardell Curry. Oh, that's right. It is Wardell. That is his first name anyway. And he changed. It. He went with Steph, huh? I would have. Yeah, that's with his because his real name is Wardell Stephen Curry the second. I would have gone with Wardell. It's better than Steph. Wardell Curry. That's so badass. Wardell Curry the second. Yeah, Wardell Curry the second. The greatest shooter of this generation. Wardell Curry the second. That's what I would have gone with. But, you know, to each his own. But good for USC's Miller Moss. Six touchdowns. Does that just uh, show that Lincoln Riley's a genius and that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is? It's bowl games, dude. Bowl games are whack. Bowl games are whack. That's my number one rule in life. Number two is don't bet on Trevor Simeon in a primetime game. And so you're betting on Joe Flacco? That seems like a mistake, well, too. That's rule number three. So uh, no betting Thursdays is rule number four. Uh, final hour is coming up. B-F-F-T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball-faced truth. Final Thursday night football game of the year is coming up shortly. Jets Browns here on the BFT Radio Network flagship 750 The Game. Streaming for free at 750thegame.com from our friends at Westwood One. So we'll pass it off to that uh, coming up here in a few minutes. Flacco v. Simeon. Uh, it's going to be a barn burner. There's two games left for the Browns. They already have 10 wins playing with their third quarterback or their fourth quarterback. Fourth quarterback. And Deshaun Watson, DTR, P.J. Walker, and now Joseph Flacco. And somehow they already have 10 wins. That's an amazing, amazing story. Uh, So that's coming up against the Jets here shortly. Got some more NFL thoughts. But let's, Steven, dive into the five at five. Five biggest things you need to know. The five at five. Actually... I don't even know if we call it the five biggest things that you need to know. It's just five things that we decided that we want to talk about. Number one. The number one thing I want to talk about, Judah, tomorrow's Sun Bowl. I'm getting ready for it. I'm getting hyped. I know we just talked to TJ. You just said, you know, bowl games don't matter. They matter to me, damn it. I love the bowl games. Beavs, Notre Dame tomorrow. What are you, a WWE fan? They're real to me. Notre Dame, six-point favorite kickoff, 11 a.m. on CBS from El Paso. It'll be uh, Ben Branson for the Oregon State Beavers, Starnet quarterback, while Notre Dame, they will not be having Sam Hartman as he has opted out. Their quarterback for the game will be Steve Angeli, the redshirt freshman. Uh, who you got in the game, Judah? You think Oregon State's got a shot? I think Oregon State, the more I get closer to the game, I think the Beavers can cover this game. I think they can cover the six. I'm not going to say they went outright, but I think they can cover the six. Yeah, I... I... I think they can get there, maybe, but at the end of the day, I think Notre Dame wins. I think they cover. You know, I just think there's going to be a little bit too much talent uh, for the Irish, even though all the opt-outs, defensively, they just got too much. So, 
It's not impossible for the Beavers to win this game. They very well could. But if you're asking me my pick, I'm going 20 to 10 Irish beat the Beavers. But I am definitely rooting for Oregon State. Number two. Well, in the story that just will not go away, Judah. 23-10. I'll go 23-10. I just am, I'm tired of hearing about Michigan's sign-stealing scandal and Alabama. They are taking extra precautions to avoid any potential intrusions because of Connor Stallions and the sophistication that they have leading up to the cultural playoff. They've changed the way Bama has, the way they're watching the film in advance of their game in the Rose Bowl against Michigan. According to several players who spoke today, while they typically have been able to have film on their iPads and take it home to watch it on their own time, players have no longer been able to do that as they prepare for the playoff game. Wide receiver Isaiah Bond said, quote, I think they said Michigan was stealing signs the first eight weeks or something like that. So we're just watching film with the team because we're not allowed to watch film on our own. We don't want any stuff like that happening again, end quote. So it looks like Alabama cannot watch film by themselves. They can only watch it as a team in your position groups at practice. Uh, <laughs> seems really dumb, and it seems like they're uh, starting to just – I'm just tired of this. Yeah, I'm tired I of the sign-stealing thing. Well, maybe Saban's just like, you know what, let's keep it simple, all right? Like, let's not watch too much film. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. We'll watch it all together and – I mean, what's their fear? That someone will hack into their... The cloud. They're they're hacking into the the cloud. cloud. Yeah. (laughs) It's over the top, but it's pretty funny. I also wonder if they're even telling the truth. Maybe Saban's just playing mind games with Harbaugh. You know, I don't think he cares that much about it. Or maybe he does. Do you think he's paranoid or do you think... You know, I, they're just playing games with Michigan at this point. I mean, I think these elite coaches are a little wacko, right? Like, I, I think they are always looking out. But I also a month off is a long time. It's like you probably don't need to be watching film at home during this time off. Like, just I, unplug a little bit and then focus on the prep when you're with the team. I don't know. I I feel like this is just being overblown, and they're just kind of trying to make this a story and, and then trying to get in Michigan's head. I think you're right. Yeah. I think Michigan's or Alabama's playing a little mind games with them because I think you're right. You don't need to be watching film 24 seven. So, like, you have a whole month to prep. You know, tell the players, hey, you know, we're only going to watch it here because of Michigan. They're cheating. Dude, you know, I want so bad for the story to be that this whole time they were hacking into players' private dorms and apartments and networks at their home and getting film from their iPad. I, I If it, that was the story, that would be awesome. It honestly makes me want Michigan to win even more. You're such a Bama hater. No, I'm just, I'm Team Harbaugh. <laughs> They're the team of the country. Harbaugh. Number three. Well, in a not-so-good story, number 11, Illinois, their basketball team is uh, in shambles now. Their best player, Terrence Shannon Jr., has been suspended from all team activities after he was charged with rape, the school announced today. A warrant for Shannon's arrest was issued by the Douglas County and Kansas District's Attorney Office on Wednesday over an alleged sexual assault that happened back in September. According to jail records, Shannon turned himself in and was arrested in Lawrence on uh, today, earlier this morning, on a charge of rape, sexual intercourse without consent, and use of force. University said in a statement that the alleged incident occurred while Shannon was in Lawrence to attend at the Illinois-Kansas football game. The school did note also that Shannon was not in Lawrence on an official university business, nor was he a member of the university's travel party, so he did go there by himself. Shannon posted $50,000 bail today and was returning to Champaign, Illinois, according to the school. Uh... Mark P. Setter, an Illinois-based attorney, will represent Shannon, said his client is innocent and intends to take the case to trial. Shannon is not just your average player. He is a potential first-round pick in the NBA draft and a potential All-American 
averaging 21.7 points, four and a half rebounds for the Fighting Illini. Wow, that's uh, that's a lot. It's it's super sad, obviously first and, and foremost, but um, I just hate idiotic behavior like this, especially at other people's um, uh, expense in the most uh, private way. This guy had a big time future. To your point, first round pick potential. I mean, you can pretty much uh, kiss that goodbye unless somehow uh, it comes out that he's innocent. I think of Matareza, the Bills punter, and he got drafted and then just cut because he was accused of being part of the gang rape at San Diego State. Turns out he was. Now he could be back. But that uh, you know, it's just sad. The whole thing's sad. The whole thing sucks. Um, he was at the Illinois-Kansas football game in September, like you're saying. He's from Chicago, so assumably rooting for Illinois in that scenario where he's going to school. But just uh, you make a lot of bad decisions just to get into a situation like that. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. But if Brad Underwood, it's still Brad Underwood at Illinois. If he had any whiff of this beforehand, like, you know, the chicken's coming home to roost. Um because if you get any whiff of this, I feel like this is a thing that can just like totally undercut your entire season if you're playing with fire as a head coach and just letting the kid play because he's really good. I don't, I can't tell if that's what's happening or not. Obviously, he's suspended now, but it's impossible to tell with these things. But a really good player in college basketball, he won't be seeing the floor uh, anytime soon. Um, and there's there's some things to play out there. Number four. This is a rivalry you love, Judah. The Chiefs and the Bengals, they play on Sunday uh, down in Kansas City. Kansas City is about seven-point favorite right now. But Jamar Chase, he has come out and he has said that there is nothing impressive about the Chiefs' defense. He was asked, what stands out about the Chiefs' secondary? Well, this is what Jamar Chase said. If I'm being honest, nothing. They just know how to play us. They know the leverages. They know what splits we're in. They just know what we going to do certain moments. Um, they throw a little double-doubles at us to stop the two best players on the outside, and that's all they do. I mean, it's not really like they got a Jalen Ramsey on these squads, you know what I'm saying? So, not much. Nothing. Nothing <laughs> impresses Jamar Chase about that Chiefs <laughs> secondary. Uh, you know, Jerry Sneed, solid little player out there. Chris Jones, obviously, is on the inside on the defensive line. Good player as well, but you know, a big-time game, I think, for both teams. You know, the Bengals still in the playoff race. The Chiefs. They've been, you know, stumbling down the stretch as we talked about earlier. But Jamar Chase, uh, not impressed. He says that he is feeling a lot better as he missed last week's game for the Bengals. He's still questionable going into Sunday. But uh, this Chiefs Chiefs Bengals rivalry is going to be around for a long time as long as Burrow can stay healthy, as long as Mahomes can stay healthy and maybe get a couple of uh, threats. This is a rivalry that's going to continue. Yeah, I mean, this is your AFC title matchup, two straight years. Uh, in Arrowhead. Bengals won the first one. Obviously, the Chiefs won a thriller last year. Uh, obviously, it's Jake Browning, you know, Sons, uh, Joe Burrow. It's it's fun. Are you surprised that they put this at the 125 slot on Sunday afternoon instead of Ravens-Dolphins? 100%. But, yeah, I am, actually. I'm very surprised. A lot surprised. of people will be yeah. watching, obviously. They, they just said swift factor, you know, rivalry. We got to put it there is basically what they're saying. Number but the better football game will be Miami-Baltimore, and I'll likely go. We'll see. That's a battle for the number one seed. Uh, number five, a couple of big games tonight, big sports tonight. We've got some bowl games. Arizona-Oklahoma tonight. Arizona, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Oklahoma against Oklahoma. Uh, Blazers take on the Spurs. Blazers down to a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And the big Thursday night game, Jets at Browns. That game's actually at uh, Browns, minus six-and-a-half. Now, who you got in those games, Judah? Uh, 
I'll take Cleveland to win, but Thursday night, I, I can never read it right, except for the Seahawks-Cowboys game I pretty much nailed. Um, Blazers uh, will lose. They'll find a way to lose as a favorite and be 0-3. Pac-12, Arizona versus I think, Oklahoma. I like Arizona. You know, I, I really believe in the Fisher and, and Jed, Jedster. Um, so I think they'll finish the season strong. What about you? Uh, give me the Spurs. Give me Oklahoma. Give me um, Browns to win just to cover. Friday show will be a fun one. We'll talk to you then.